Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Whitetail Theories podcast. Today is the first episode of the Deer Camp Tour podcast, and we have a whole bunch of guests on tonight, and we're going to be kind of wrapping up the Nebraska whitetail slash mule deer hunt uh, deer camp style. So why don't we go down the line and introduce everybody? Gabe, why don't you go first? Hi, guys. I'm Gabe Denzine, checking in here from Nebraska. Hey everybody, I'm Tim Nickerson, um, living here in Nebraska. Hi, I'm Colin Kidd, living here in Nebraska. All right, so this kind of hunt, as far as Gabe and Colin, your hunt kind of started out as a hunt swap, correct? Uh, honestly, yes. That's kind of what it turned into after we, we got back and forth a little bit. And honestly, how this hunt started is about three months ago, I was dead set on just coming and trying my first mule deer hunt. And after I got into service side, honestly, it was just an ad on Instagram. And I sat through a webinar about, you know, Western mule deer hunting. And after that, I was talking to Torin and he put me into contact with Tim. And Tim was kind of giving me an area and, you know, letting me know what was up. And then after that, I reached out to Colin and him and I actually hit it off over socials pretty well. And I got the invite to come out here and hang out. And after that, I mean, we just kind of planned that, you know, I'd come to Nebraska and have a fun hunt. And then sometime in October, he would be coming to Missouri and I'd take whitetail hunting. Nice, nice. So you have a zero history kind of hunting mule deer and hunting the, the Plains region? Absolutely zero. I have never hunted mule deer or hardly even seen a mule deer until this week. All right. I want to dive into that here a little bit uh, once we get further along. But, uh, Tim, so how long have you been out there in Nebraska? Uh, I was born and raised here, so going on 43 now. So I guess I've been living out here my entire life other than a few years in the service. Um, started hunting muleys when I was about 12, 13 years old. Um, and been hunting ever since. I think I've only shot one white-tailed buck and two white-tailed total the entire time I've been been deer hunting. It's all been muleys. So, Tim, this is his second podcast with us, and he's done one in the past specifically on Midwestern mule deer hunting. Do you kind of want to touch on a little bit of uh, what makes Nebraska unique compared to some of the other Midwest uh, states and then even like the Rocky Mountain style of hunting? Um, our muleys are not up in the high high timbers and the big mountains and like that where you, where you got you know like uh, Colorado and Wyoming Utah and Idaho ours are primarily out in the plains um, the area we hunt here in southwest Nebraska there's rolling hills um, with trees in the pockets you know like up in the ends of the pockets where they could hide um, but primarily this time of year they're sticking to the ag fields um, they'll bed down in the corn and when they come out of the corn they'll pretty much spend the entire day out in like the, the milo or the beans or something like that okay so when you say uh the majority of the day is it like kind of how you would think whitetail hunting your best activity is going to be at early morning and then later evening or are you going to have opportunities during midday or like that two to five o'clock time range this time of the year um you will have opportunities midday however your your peak times are going to be early morning and, and then uh, maybe an hour hour and a half before sundown 
got it, got it. All right, Colin, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Have you always lived in Nebraska your entire life? And then, like, kind of how did you get your start into hunting? Um, yeah, I was born and raised in Nebraska. Um, my immediate family didn't deer hunt, but, like, my extended cousins and everybody deer hunted. So we'd come out and do some pheasant hunting out here. And, you know, I always saw them out deer hunting. I'd see the deer in the back pick up. And I finally got into it when I was about 14. And I've hunted muleys ever since. Um, I've shot one whitetail buck in my life, which was, I mean, kind of a fluke because our land never had whitetail. And then I was out, I was probably a senior in high school and one just showed up and that's the only whitetail experience I've ever had. That's, that's so wild to me. Like just not seeing whitetails is so strange, but obviously a very, very cool feature having those, those mule deer out where you're at. That's, that's super awesome. So, uh, Gabe, tell me a little bit about why you wanted to go to Nebraska. What, like, really pulled on you to go out there? So, there's actually a couple reasons why I chose Nebraska. One, first and foremost, is it's one of the, I'm not going to say it's one of the only states, but as far as non-residents being able to get an over-the-counter tag, Nebraska does make it pretty easy for you to just go buy a tag. It's not crazy expensive. I think between the habitat stamp and the actual tag, it was like 310 or 315 bucks for over-the-counter archery tag. And I know that it's not a super far drive from a lot of people on the eastern side of the states, you know, or maybe the eastern side of the Midwest. You know, it, typically if you want to go hunt mule deer, you have to go into mountains. Um, but you know, states like Kansas, Nebraska, um, you know, even the Dakotas offer some pretty good mule deer hunting. So I did quite a bit of research and thought that, you know what, instead of making a 16-hour drive and taking, you know, a week or two to go hunt backcountry, you know, this is an easy trip for, you know, a working-class guy to go and take four or five days off of work and, you know, get on some deer. Yeah, no, I, I think that definitely gets overlooked. Um, what, what really, like, convinced you – so, like, one of the things that I always see is, like, man, I'd love to get out west and – go hunt mule deer, go hunt elk, go hunt this. What, like, was a tipping point for you? Or are you just that type of person? You're like, yep, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go do it. I mean, there's kind of a little bit of both involved in that. One, I grew up, and I've only whitetail hunted as far as deer hunting goes. Originally from Wisconsin. Now a year and a half ago, I moved down to Missouri, and it's just whitetail haven down there. And a mule deer has just kind of been one of those things where my family doesn't have personal experience in hunting those. Uh, I've never done it. And it's it's kind of like, you know, one day you just you, you hit a point and you're like, you know what, I've hunted this animal so much, like, let's try something different. And they're very similar, but, you know, coming out here, I've also learned that they are very different. And I just wanted a different experience. Uh, and then you get, you know, into the side of, you know, I also film content for Beagle Boy Outdoors. So I wanted to get a different video, just something that people haven't seen very much. And I think that on the ground, spot and stock type hunting is really taking off now. And I just kind of wanted to hop on board, you know, try my luck with it. Nice. Yeah. So, um, Tim, how has the, the hunting been in Nebraska over your tenure? I mean, you, you have roughly... 40 some years of of experience out there how has the the deer herd changed and then with kind of like what what Gabe's doing you're seeing more and more people come to Nebraska that are non-residents 
how is that affecting the deer herd as far as pressure, that kind of deal? Um, Pressure-wise, here in our portion of the state, we don't get a whole lot of archery tag, archery hunters from out of state. Um, primarily, the main reason is there's not a lot of public ground out here, and the private ground is like liquid gold. I mean, it's um, trying to get onto other people's ground is pretty tough. Um, as far as herd management, you know, growing up, you know, from starting to hunt, and through the years, you know, I, I, I would. I'd get a deer every year. I would, ne- I would never ever go without a deer. Um, but then the older I got, the more I started looking into things. And, you know, I, I never did shoot a huge deer. You know, I did a little two by two to begin with when I was younger. Um, and then as I got older, maybe an occasional three by three or even a four by four. Um, but then I got started getting frustrated because you, you wouldn't even see the big deer. Um, so. Um, I made the, uh, a decision to quit hunting our ground for about, I'd say, five, six years. So in 2007, wow. I quit hunting it altogether. Um, I did public ground, um, other places. Um, a couple of years, I just went without a tag and didn't hunt at all. Um, and then the first year I hunted it, after giving it you know, that five-year break, 2012 I shot the biggest deer that I've ever shot to date uh, he scored right around 183 um, and then after that almost every single year we've harvested at least um, as far as you know the, the mature hunters you know kids and stuff you know I kids when they come out and then for their first deer I they, they've got open range to shoot whatever they want um, but they have to get shoot a bigger deer the next year and so on and so forth keep going on just to progress um but um, that's cool but as the the adult hunters in my group um on average probably i'd say four to five tags a year i'd say 75 percent of those are 160 plus wow wow i mean uh, that's that's insane right you know and you know but we're not that picky you know i mean is like me um if it's uh, it doesn't have to be just an, a big deer i mean i look at you know living with these deers you know for, you know as long as i have you get a good good eye at trying to age them and this and that right and so if i can tell it's a mature deer um you know and he's got a funky rack or a lot of character to him but he's not huge i'll still shoot him you know if it, if it's i mean it's you know, like you've heard a time and time again, beauty's in the eye of the beholder when it comes to a deer. Don't let anybody try and discourage you from shooting something. If you like it and it gets your heart pumping, you know, by all means, there's nothing wrong right. with that. But, yeah, as far as our deer herd, um, it's it's been really, really growing over the years. You know, I mean, we don't have a ton of ground compared to the, some, of the, some of the farms around us, um, but we... And obviously the deer aren't ours and they'll jump and they'll go, you know, from property to property. But we, at the same time, we try to limit the amount of deer we take every year and we try to shoot the mature deer. So can, can you kind of break down how, uh, well, maybe, maybe this might be a better question for you, Gabe. So, uh, how are whitetails and muleys different? Oh boy, where do I even start with that? I mean, 
honestly out here I can try to make a comparison just because you know as far as you know farm fields and in, in hunting that way they would be very similar now your average guy that goes out and hunts whitetails 99.9 percent .9 of guys are gonna go set trail cameras set tree stands you know hunt forest and stuff like that uh, that really does not apply out here and there's guys I mean you could play some trail cameras and there's there's a few trees here and there uh, but as far as the the mule deer aspect of that it's it's just a different ball game it feels like it's more active um, it's it's more aggressive as far as the approach goes and honestly the way we've been hunting has for me kind of been like turkey hunting honestly the way I'm gonna describe it it's a lot and a lot of driving trying to get eyes and get visuals on these deer versus your whitetail hunter primarily scouts you know most of the summer trying to find bedding areas trying to find you know travel routes stuff like that because when you're hunting in a forest or you know more wooded area you know you can't really see these things you're just trying to get as you know best of an educated guess at where they're at as possible versus mule deer you can still do that stuff and try and pattern and figure travel routes out travel routes out but the most important thing that i have found out so far is just getting a visual on stuff yeah see with the, the mule deer so colin and i run cameras throughout the summer they um, do pretty well spring and summer and it's but it's different from the whitetail hunting is that we don't use the cameras to try and pattern the deer really, i mean you'll be able to get a pattern on a mule deer on a rough estimate i'd say like within 100 acres 200 acres right. i mean because they i mean they'll be in the same general area but they never take the same path they take different paths all the time wow there's no like religious like way they go right you, you and they don't, so there's yeah like a certain pasture you know there's be no, in that pasture around Right. You know, and there's like no, they don't evening. have a dedicated bed like a white tail usually That's does. what I was just going to ask. Yeah. I mean, they'll they'll bed down. It just depends on what pocket or what pasture they're at at that point in time. I mean, if we went and hunted all the beds we found, we wouldn't see hardly any deer. Yeah. Because they're just they're scattered <laughs> everywhere. It's one day, one day they're there, one day they're in a different place and that's all based off right. food source, wind direction, weather has been a big thing for us out here just trying to hunt the different weather and you know we can talk about that here later in the podcast because that's honestly a big factor of you know finding deer out here would be the weather so i would i would think one of the big things to struggle with too is when you get a deer bedded up and let's say you're waiting for it to stand up and then either make a move out of its bed because there's potentially so much food around it can go in whatever direction it wants to go right well gabe kind of experienced that today he he uh was sneaking up on a mule deer that was um out in the bean field um and uh, he was bedded down and they tried to i'll, I'll let him to describe it but yeah they, they made a sneak on a uh, on a mule deer today that was bedded down in the beans yeah these deer out here really have no agenda as far as you know what they're gonna do it's kind of like uh you know when you're a kid and you're just super innocent and you wake up instead of having to go uh you know to to work or you know figure out something like that it's your summer vacation you just wake up and you're like okay what am i gonna do today i mean that's honestly the same that's the same thought process that these mule deer have other than they need to eat and they that's about it eat and drink water especially when it's warm out like it has been so, Colin, what what are your primary tactics for being successful in in targeting muleys? So that kind of varies throughout the year. So 
like this early season now, like September, is really target on those ag fields and try to glass them as good as you can see if you can't see antler tips moving through there. Um, I mean, and it changes as you get later in the season. So once all the crop fields are picked, you can, you know, get eyes on the visual on the deer and watch it until it gets bedded down. And then, like, you know, sneak up to the bed and try to get as close as you can and wait for them to get back up. And then that changes again once the rut hits. And then they herd up with a herd of, like, 20 to 30 deer sometimes. Yeah, right now, right now they're still in their bachelor groups. And so it's, when you get that 20 to 30 deer in that herd, my tactic changes again from finding beds to more on the lines of seeing where they're headed once they get out of their beds or going to their beds and just trying to meet them in the middle. Gotcha. And hope that that buck walks close enough to me because there's so many eyes at that point that sneaking up on a bedding area is really rough. And a lot of times you're out of How? that range of you can shoot with, especially archery. How uh, how tolerant are they about human scent? Oh boy, um, honestly, I when I whitetail hunt, I was super picky about you know taking showers, washing clothes, um, you know wearing some scent control products. You know I like to use some nose jammer, uh, but out here, I mean, we thought about it the first day, but after you're walking around, you're 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 gonna sweat. You're gonna stink, and it really comes down to you have to play the wind. That's no, first and foremost. I mean, you could literally roll around in a cow pie, and you know, as long as you're, you know, upwind or you know, not, the, your wind is not blowing towards a deer. It's not gonna matter. You should you should be fine. Just play the wind religiously. We've, uh, we've never used a scent control product at all. Yeah, it's, just, it's all wind. Yeah. And the only problem with the wind here is that when you get down to the bottom of the pastures and the canyons. Sure. She'll swirl. It swirls a lot. But at the same time, when it swirls, they don't bust out of there like a whitetail. No, they, and a lot of times when they, if they do bust your smell, they'll go off like, on average, like 20 to 40 yards. Mm -hmm. And they'll kind of turn back. So as long as you don't overpressure that deer and really bust it out of there, you can usually back out and try again. And this, people always, you know, they, they see the videos of mule deer and everything else and people talk about, oh, mule deer are so stupid. Uh, yes and no, you know. White tail smells you; they're gonna blow out and just run. Um, a white or a muley, if you if he busts you out, he's gonna stand up and he's gonna look and figure out what you are. Then he's gonna look at the terrain around him and around you to figure out his escape route. And then he'll run off, like Colin said, 40 or 50 yards, stop, turn around, and then see, look back at you to see if you're advancing or what's going on or what the deal is. Um, and then they're jumping, um, how they bounce through, how, you know, how they bounce, if you see all the videos of them, it's actually called mm -hmm. stotting, and that is their way to avoid predators, is because they can, they can change angles at the drop of a hat as soon as they land, um, or they can jump over yuccas or cedars or stuff like that to, you know, try to elude their, their predators. And it's like when they, when they do bust out like that, and if, a lot of times if you just don't follow the animal and you like almost back off mule deer have a tendency to like circle back and try to look at you again because that's where they want to be and so a lot of times you can catch a lot of those deer circling back right. it's a little bit a again. little bit more forgiving rather than a white tail you know a lot of guys you go spook one you know you good luck it's it's gonna show back up a day or two or three later you know versus a mule deer i mean if, if you do spook one and it's not you know you didn't scare the living crap out of it 
you know, there's a good chance you could get on that deer later in the day. So Gabe, why don't you, why don't you walk us through basically your first hunt experience while you're out there? Well, I mean, honestly, I'm probably just going to start at day one and Colin and I went to some public land. I mean, we drove about 45 minutes from where we're at and we hunted public land the first two days, very religiously. And the public land that we were on, I mean, is a lot different than some of the private. There's a lot less fields. It's a lot of elevation change and honestly it's, it's it's literally just a desert there's just cactuses and yuccas and in rocks that's about it <laughs> but you know we were hunting chunks and you get into those cuts or those draws and there's some trees and stuff like that so we literally would drive around everywhere and you know we'd stop every so often and just take five ten minutes in glass and you spend the majority of your time just trying to find animals you know out and about bedded down in milo fields or you know in tree lines stuff like that so we spend a lot of our time just, you know, basically doing recon. And if I was going to relay that to a whitetail perspective, I mean, that's that's what guys do in the summertime. They go out, you know, two hours before dark, drive around in glass. In Missouri, I do that a lot. You know, and you're looking for deer standing up in bean fields and out in hay fields just so you can kind of see where they're at. That was basically the case, except for it's an all-day thing here. I mean, you're always traveling and looking to try and find movement, antlers sticking out of grass, milo, uh, you know ditches you're looking at different times of the day you know they like to stay in the shady spots if they're down in a cut you know we have the sun in the southern part of the sky right now so it's like okay anything on the north side of a cut you know that's where you try and pay attention to shadow stuff like that so there's some very uh you know there's a method to the madness for how we are how we were doing stuff out here and honestly our first day uh, it went from a mule deer hunt to a whitetail hunt very, very quickly. And me and Colin were talking, you know, I've shot plenty of whitetails. He shot plenty of mule deer. So it's like, if we see a nice muley, you know, we're going to go after it. You know, I'm, I'm going to try and shoot it. And if we see a whitetail, you know, we're going to have Colin go after it. And honestly, right away the first morning, we glassed a pretty decent sized whitetail. And it was bedded down in a milo field. And it was about, um, what, 150 yards off the road from yeah, us? We, we see the top of his head in his rack. Just moving around the top of the milo when he was, he was bedded down, but he has head up. And so we could see him then. And then every once in a while, put his head down, and we had to sit there and wait for another 10, 20 minutes. I think 30 minutes was the longest way we waited. Oh, yeah. I'm just trying to make sure that it, so we could make sure we knew where he was. And that, that's another thing we actually didn't talk about yet is that, you know, a lot of people, you know, if you don't know how to stalk deer like I didn't, you know, your first and foremost is like, okay, I see this thing. I got to go after it like right now. The majority of the time, that's not the case. I mean, you're going to find that deer. You're then going to spend your time, you know, trying to figure out your, your route to that deer, figure out, okay, you know, I could shoot it from 40 yards, 50 yards, 60, pick out your your path that you're going to try and take and then you're also glassing around it to make sure that it's not the only deer because if there's more sets of eyes that you didn't find you know you're going to get busted that way so there's there's a there's a methodical process that you have to follow and you have to really take an educated approach if you're going to be successful with this stuff i mean we watched that whitetail for an hour before we even left the pickup oh yeah we sat there and i mean i couldn't find it the binoculars to save my life but uh, colin and kyler were we're on the ball with that. And, I mean, we watched it pretty pretty hard. And the benefit for us in that situation was the first day it was rainy, and the wind was in our was in our favor for the stock. Uh, they were bedded down while it was raining, which was 
you know, in a field. I figured they'd be hunkered under, hunkered down under a cedar tree or something. But they were out in the middle of this Milo field, and you know, we just kind of, we 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 had to take a little bit different approach. Just Collins kind of, you know, got a little broken oh, yeah, broken should, foot here, so we're trying one. to stalk muleys <laughs> and whitetails, you yeah. know, with a broken foot. Well, I broke foot. my foot in the beginning of August, pretty bad. Had a big surgery, bunch of plates and screws. So I just a week ago, a week before season, they cleared me to start trying to like relearn how to walk. So that stock was actually the first time I walked since August. Wow. <laughs> and I walked about 100 yards through the Milo field. Oh yeah, we're crawling and it's And then we crawled for another probably 50, 60 yards. I mean, that, that crawl and walk probably took us 45 minutes. Oh yeah. We so, got within 30 of that deer. So Gabe, let me ask you this. Yeah. Going into this, how did you feel about your stalking skills? Um, honestly, I figured from all the recon and search I did, you know, I've watched plenty of videos, or you know, at least I thought I watched plenty of videos, and you can have aspirations and an idea of, you know, how things are going to play out. But, you know, like I said, as soon as I got here, I mean, everything changes once you're in the situation. Once you have boots on the ground and you're actually in the moment, I mean, there's, there's things that, you know, you thought you were going to practice that, definitely leave your brain just because of the adrenaline rush uh, but there's also things that like muscle memory you know you should really practice and make sure you engrave in your head like like I said the number one thing is pay attention to your wind direction so always have something that can help you check the wind in your pocket um, keeping a visual is a big thing for us you know we lost visual a couple times which in some situations you really can't change that um, in to be honest, that really throws you for a loop. As soon as you lose that that visual, I mean, they can move. You could, you know, forget where they are in, you know, wherever they were bedded down. But as far as that goes, I mean, it was definitely not quite what I expected. But I I don't think I did too bad. We only had a couple stalks just because, uh, as far as deer movement, it's been it's been kind of hot in early season like this. You know, you have a couple factors going into one all the crop fields are still up so the deer for 99 percent of the day are in the cornfields in the milo and the times that they're not you know you have to make sure you're just in the right place at the right time yeah so uh how did how did day two go day two i'm trying to remember day two i think uh we did we, it was nicer day two mm -hmm. less rain we went that we went to that piece that north piece that time yeah, so we actually got into more of a whitetail grind, honestly. It was it was kind of weird how it switched up because they have a good portion of whitetails actually down more river bottoms, trees, stuff like that. Um, and that's where you're going to find the whitetails. And that's Colin was more apt about getting a whitetail. So we, we set up in some draws and we did some recon the night before. And just, you know, we used Onyx and Hunt Stand very religiously just trying to pick out pinch points and crop fields and you know watering holes stuff like that i think what surprised me most about when we use like the onyx stuff is those small pieces that we didn't want to check at first actually ended up being our best pieces oh yeah just because you click on it and you're like oh it's only 40 acres and then you zoom in and you realize okay this piece is actually 200 acres like that's that's a lot of land to work with it, it doesn't sound like much but it's actually a pretty decent and a lot job. of that terrain how it was shaped made a big difference in our our public land search there and I, we had a little bit of like scouting help because I have some friends that they really hunt the public really hard. So we kind of had an idea of where to, you know, what to expect and a few options of where to go. And I mean, we used those options, but then we found a lot more outside of what we'd heard about and went there. And it actually ended up 
Uh, I think we learned a lot about it. Oh yeah, day day two for me was you know a lot better than day one. It's kind of like when you go to a job, you start a new job, and day one is just orientation, like you're learning, and then you know day two it's you know you actually get put to work. So instead of mm -hmm. you know getting getting carried around and kind of get shown the ropes, I mean day two is just grind. I mean it was steady. Just I think we didn't even we didn't even go back to the hotel on day two. I think that was the day we were out all yeah, day. Yeah, we stayed out all day that day. It was it was all day driving around. I bet you we put. 300 miles on the vehicle. I'm sure just put, driving around three I to 400 mean, miles. Over 600 miles this week, probably. Oh yeah, altogether. it's been crazy. So make sure you save up for gas if you want to come out here. <laughs> so, so when you guys when you guys had switched over to that different terrain, are you still primarily like glassing out of the truck, or are you like popping in to and getting like are you walking into the the piece of public and then going to a high spot and maybe like glassing for two hours? I'll actually hit on that because I firmly, after what I've seen, there is two styles or two mindsets that you can go into when you come out hunting here. And one of those is, you know, driving, blasting from the truck, and that's to get a layout of what is in there. And I think these two things are actually going to play hand in hand if you just, uh, you know, I'll take a second to explain it. So you have two methods. You have the driving around glassing, you know, covering more ground but you know, you're not able to see as much because you can't check out every nook and cranny just out of the vehicle. However, you know, we started with that located deer, and then once we located deer, that's when we switched to boots on the ground method. And that was because if you're short on time and you're just dead set on, okay, I'm gonna pick out one piece and walk it, you know, that's gonna take a majority of your day. It, it, it really is just checking stuff out and you know, you could either get paid out, you know, very good for it, or you know, we even walked. We walked a whole piece, and it took four, four or five hours yeah, one of the days. Four or five and, hours, just couldn't find and there was there was just nothing there, you know. So it's like we wish we could get that back because that's four or five hours that you could go drive around and cover a lot more pieces. But you know, that was a learning curve for us because you know, in Missouri whitetail hunting, we don't really drive around and look for these things. You pick an area, and you know, you just go with it. Versus out here, mm -hmm. if you have that option definitely take your time and glass and drive and you know we also picked out pieces you know we had like a like an a team and a b team you know our a our a team list was like our prime properties where we saw deer uh where, where the habitat was great for it so those are the spots we make sure we check out and walk first and then we kind of go find some you know pieces that were along the way that were like okay we don't know if they're going to be good or not but we'd still check out and we really didn't walk any of those pieces yeah, we, we kind of made it we made a a loop that we checked pretty regularly and you could kind of piece together public pieces. You could drive, because they're, they're kind of spread out in places, mm -hmm. but you can take different county roads. So you can hit from one public to another public and just kind of make a big circle to all these different pieces to try to maximize your time in a productive way. Yeah, I'd say the more yeah. the more ground you cover, you're not wasting time. Uh, that and and that's the nice thing because you're you're scouting different terrain. Not only that, but you're also getting different deer. Each property you go to is going to be different deer, and you're spending less time. If you are boots on the ground, you know, and for some reason you you biff it on the wind direction or something, and you do you know go bump some deer. You know, you have other options to drive around and go check some stuff out. Versus if you're stuck on one property, you know, walking around. I mean, you could potentially shoot yourself in the foot that way you know if you didn't do it cautiously you know and later in the season like during rifle season it's kind of the same same scenario with one major change is that when rifle season rolls around all the ag fields are usually harvested um, so then the deer will move out of the ag fields and into the pastures 
so what we do then is we kind of we'll drive through the pastures we've got you know designated routes we'll drive and uh, try and actually bump the deer up and then when those ag fields are out they'll they won't run into the corn like they will here during bow season um, if we bump them out of one pocket we'll watch them and they'll usually go over two or three pockets or switch over the canyon to the next to the next draw um, but then we know they're there so then after that we'll kind of try and, and put a stock on figure out which way the wind's going and then put a stock on them from there I always kind of thought of our like our rifle hunting style as like kind of run and gun mm -hmm. as we it was it's fast paced yep um, trying to cover as much ground as fast as you can to find as many deer as you can to you know find that mature buck that you want to take instead of you know covering just a little piece and then not finding one and wasting right. your day and it never fails every season during rifle season after the cornfields are out we find so many more deer that we didn't even know were there I mean, we'd like triple our buck population every year <laughs> yeah. after the corn i mean because right now we've got our eyes on at least two 170 plus bucks out here um we've seen them on game camera and uh we've seen them i've got we got eyes on them a couple of times you got yeah. eyes on them again this morning was it yes this morning or last this night? morning you got eyes on them this morning yeah. um so, I mean, we, we know that there's two, maybe three really good deer out there right now, but after they pick the corn, we'll gain five more. Yeah, and then all of a sudden there's like seen. I mean, 20 more of, deer that are, you know, that 150 class up right. that we had no idea they existed. I, yeah. I don't know where they even come from at that point. I mean, point. there's three of them on my wall here in the living room that well, all the deer we seen got, before like, season. The deer we got last year. Yeah. I think my deer is the only one we knew existed. Yep. My September, my archery deer. Yeah, the buck I got last year had never seen. Yeah, every um, other deer we got that year on that land was yeah. a, a buck we hadn't seen it, it's scouting just or any early season stuff. It's just ridiculous how many more show up after the corn corn gets picked. So, do they migrate? Do they migrate into these areas, or is it like you literally just you don't see them because there's that much cover? There's that much cover. There's, it's there's a little bit of both, but mainly because there is so much cover. The, the rut when That's you get wild. closer, like end of October, November, the deer do move quite a bit. Yep. Yeah, a mule deer will will migrate up to 10 you know 10, I think 10 to 15 miles that's why i figured out, like when i grew up hunting west of here it was mm -hmm. they had like a 10 mile circle yeah that you kind of figure out so that style of hunting too i mean you almost have to do that because like you have to stack the odds in your favor if you go into like you guys were saying into one place and like really pick it apart whether it's too much cover or the deer just aren't there that can potentially ruin your and waste your yeah. entire day. I mean, I, I, You're better I catch off myself covering as much as possible. I catch myself making that mistake sometimes still, as you know, I'll see a bunch of good bucks I like, and I'll focus on that one piece too much, yeah. to a point where I'm not seeing stuff at all during that day, and I'm still going back, and I have to remind myself, okay, I need to go, I need to move, and then I'll find them on a totally different piece. Right. The, another difference that I like to that, to always point out from how muleys are so different than whitetail is, we'll say. 80 acres for a whitetail is a lot of ground to hunt. Whereas mm -hmm. with our muleys, I mean, I would I would compare that 80 acres to what do you think, 250, 300 acres, if, if not, not more. more. You know, so I mean, if we had an 80 acre piece, you might as well not hunt it. Right. I mean, an 80 acre piece. I mean, you, you mean because the, because of the lack of cover, you can I mean you can see almost the whole chunk of ground. Yeah. Just by just. I by mean, and like most and out here, like the, even the pieces of property that we do have out here are divided. In, way right. larger chunks yeah i mean just just with 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 my ground we've got about 1500 acres you know and it's 
almost half and half. You know, there's seven miles between it. Yeah. So we got one chunk south and then another chunk seven miles north. Yeah. And then we've got about 2,000 acres of ground that we can hunt that's, you know, four or five miles away from that. It's as like well. that with all, my family's ground in Juanita, too. It's like, you know, we have 400 acres here, we have another 800 acres here. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I, I mean, I've caught a, deer eight miles from where I thought they were going to be. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, so that, that's another thing you got to take into consideration is how much these deer actually move. And then, uh, you know, because people from back east, you know, I tell them, you know, yeah, our chunk of ground is 1,500 acres. And they're like, oh my goodness, that's a whole lot of ground. Yes, but not really when it comes to, to mule deer hunting. You hunt that whole 1,500 acre piece for three days in a row, not see a single deer. Yeah. You go there the fourth day and there's 50 deer in there. Yeah. Yeah. So when it, when it comes to like their basically how we were talking about them migrating in and stuff like that so and you're talking about how expansive their their range can be it's almost like the truest form of hunting where you're like it's really it's got to be super hard to key in on one animal or a handful of specific animals correct yes there's a so probably 180 inch muley i was chasing last year um and I saw him two days in a row, didn't get a shot at him. And then I hunted him hard for four days. I don't think we ever saw him again. I never saw him once. So, and then the deer that I ended up harvesting last year, he shows up and I'd never seen him before. And he wasn't a slouch by any means. You know, he's 155, 160. But I, his character was so cool that I decided yeah. to shoot him. <laughs> and then, Three hours later in the afternoon, I found the big one. Yeah, you know, he just sat there yeah, watching so I, for a hundred. I guess that's something yards. I noticed, like watching all those white tail hunters. You know, they have like a hit list. Yeah. Of bucks, and this is the first year I've had like a hit list. Mm -hmm. I guess I'd call it because I have the two bucks I, I really want to chase. Yep. But out here, I never had one because you can't rely. It'll, I mean, it's going to change so much. Yeah. The and then all of a sudden, the there's going to be a bigger dude that walks out that you've never seen before, and all of a sudden, yeah. it's there. I mean, so you just kind of have to just, I just fly by the seat of your pants with it. You just kind of have to be ready for changes and adjust as you go. Yeah, because, like, I'm looking at it from a whitetail perspective. And, like, you can get, let's just say, on a, on a piece of public, you can find five mature, five mature bucks on that piece of public. And they might not have a specific pattern as far as, okay, they're doing this in the morning, they're doing this in the evening. But they'll concentrate in an area for, let's say, all of early season archery. Mm -hmm. And then during the rut, they're gone. Then they come back in uh, late season. Mm -hmm. Is it kind of like that with mule deer too, where like uh, a mature mule deer will hang out for a specific amount of time and then they'll go rut somewhere else, like they'll migrate somewhere else. Then they'll come over and then they'll spend late season somewhere over here. Or is it just that variable where like, you never know what you're going to see, and you never know what's going to show up. The the like right now when they're in their bachelor herds, the the bigger deer that you're seeing in the bachelor herds, when it kind of comes time to rut, they will rut right there. Um, oh really? They'll rut okay. right there. They'll round up their 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 little harem of does, and the uh, the medium bucks will get pushed off to another chunk. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Interesting. And, I never knew that. Yeah. And, uh, like, I mean, I think I touched on this on the last podcast last year, but, uh, 
um, they kind of keep control of their harem like elk. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. ver- versus you know, in, in in that in that podcast, I also learned that a white-tailed buck doesn't do that. He'll bounce from doe yeah. to doe. That was the craziest thing for me. Is really yeah, like, they lock down to one doe and then they go find another one. A whole bunch of doe, which is that's I mean, that's what a mule deer will do. So when it comes time to the rut, like I said, um, my biggest deer when I shot him, there was him and I think a forky, but there were 23 doe with those two bucks. And wow! And, and you could definitely tell that the one that I shot was the king of his little castle. I mean, because I mean, after I shot him, I'd never seen this before in my life. But after I shot him, seven doe hung around like you just shot the the mama doe, and then they were all fawn just hanging out. Just they, they, I mean, that, yeah. what'd you do to my mom? You know, I mean, but all these doe were just hanging around. You know, watch me gut this deer, and it was just ridiculous. It's like when you shoot that big buck, they just don't know what they're doing. Right. I've had it like yeah. we, we've gutted them and loaded them up in a pickup, and the doe are still staying there 20 yeah. yards away I mean, from they're us. They're lost. I mean, they're um, the king of their household is gone, and they don't know what to do now. And you kind of get like it's like satellite bulls. I've I've watched a lot of on you know like mm-hmm. different videos. You'll catch. We kind of we have satellite bucks, kind of like those younger two and three year olds yep. that aren't. You know, small enough to be hanging out with the does and not breeding, but they right. can breed, but they're little. They do hang out. You'll catch them by themselves. Yep. But they'll be pretty close to a herd. So let's let's circle back to kind of how the hunt was going. So where where did we leave off at? Well, we kind of day talked two. about day two. Day three for us, I'm trying to go back That's, and think we about. We started on public that morning. Yep, we started on public, and we actually switched over to... Uh, private like 10 o'clock in the morning yeah we got we got some access to some private land out here that we hunted you know today and yesterday you know just because we wanted to grind it out on public just to see what we could come up with you know get a full experience here and uh, i mean the public and private were very very different i mean it's different terrain you know different animals and, and, and pressure and stuff like that um the most eventful day for us honestly was probably this morning and tonight was pretty good for... Yeah, for Colin and Kyler had some, some cool experiences tonight. I mean, they almost got trampled by deer at like 10 yards. <laughs> uh, this morning for me, we knew it was going to be good because it had been storming. And this is where I'm going to go back into the weather is a lot of people when it storms, you know, they're going to sit at home and, you know, sleep in and because, you know, they don't want to be out there. But, you know, you do not want to pass up on those opportunities, especially out here use the weather to your advantage those deer when it's storming out they're not you know they're not moving crazy they're 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 hunkered down and for long periods of time so we got out here uh you know this morning and it was honestly still dark past eight o'clock because it was like thunderstorming crazy i mean it was very windy couldn't even see the road driving out there i mean it was, it was not- yeah i would say the, the rain was so bad but we used that to our advantage because we knew that Okay, these deer had been hunkered down all night. They haven't been moving because of the storm. So as soon as the storm is over, I mean, it was just all gas, no brakes for these deer. They're off their feet. They're drying out. They're, you know, moving from food to food, just checking out, you know, different stuff. And after we left, you know, it was it was raining. We watched some does all morning, and then we decided, okay, we're going to cover more ground because we know the deer are moving. This is the time. So instead of sitting on one piece that, you know, I didn't see a buck on, I'm like, we have a bunch of pieces just lined up, you know, down the road a mile from each other. You can hop really quick. 
So we started driving and literally got in between, you know, the cornfield, my truck, and then, you know, the deer was trying to get into the corn and it kind of booted off the field and we got a good look at it and it wasn't a giant buck. I would say, I mean, I would call it a 5.0, you know, from whitetail perspective, but it was a three by two. And, you know, it was, it was, it was a decent buck for a first mule deer. I mean, it was probably low one thirties, I would assume, yeah. you know, it, it got bigger, the closer I got up to it, obviously, <laughs> but, but, you know, it was, it was a really cool buck and we turned around and just, you know, we kind of planned out our approach or our, you know, attack plan from when you see that deer, instead of going in and just, you know, not, not having any clue what you're doing, you know, if you just, I mean, do a full send with, with no plan, you're not going to really come out successful that way. So we watched it, you know, and then me and my videographer got out and we kind of did the boots on the ground, which is, you know, we played the wind, the wind was coming straight from the south and, you know, so we stayed north of the deer and we went into these cuts and just peeked over, you know, one cut, glass the, the bottom of it, got a, you know, tried to get a visual, then we went down and up the other side and we, we, we did that and, you know, we couldn't locate this deer, so we kind of were just trying to figure out, okay, where did this deer go and then we ended up you know getting back to the road after an hour on the ground and we couldn't find this thing at all and colin and kyler were actually waiting you know outside my vehicle so i was kind of explain to him what happened and show him the film of this deer and we literally hopped in the trucks and started driving back down you know past where we saw it and right touching the wheat stubble field there's actually just an irrigated you know those big circle bean fields and Colin got up in front of me, you know, by about a hundred yards and I saw him just, you know, hit the brakes in the middle of the road. And I'm like, okay, something, you know, something's going on. So I got right behind him and literally, you know, off the road about a hundred to 120 yards, you can see this rack sitting in the bean field, you know, just kind of turning and moving slowly. And, you know, whitetail hunting, when I go back home, I'm never going to look at a bean field the same way. <laughs> you know, when, 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 when you look at a bean field, you're always like, okay, they should be standing out there. They're going to show up, you know, late at night. There's no deer out there in the middle of the day. I mean, this was 1020 in the morning, and this buck is now bedded in a bean field. And, you know, it's perfect situation because these beans are three feet tall, three and a half, four feet tall. And the only thing you can see is the rack. So it's the perfect opportunity to make a stalk. So we got dead even west of the deer, and we had a straight south wind, so we knew we weren't going to get winded. And Colin and Kyler actually sat on the roof of the truck, and they were kind of filming and watching it out of the truck. Uh, me, and the, me and my videographer were out now, boots on the ground, just going super slow. You know, we started out crouching just because the deer was actually uphill from us and then kind of behind a terrace. So we used the terrain to our advantage, which is the number one thing you have to pay attention to. And then from there, we were trying to figure out how to seal the deal. So with the wind, we had 10, 15 mile an hour winds, which is, you know, very common out here. So when you're archery hunting, I mean, you got to make sure you can shoot, you know, in the wind and calm yourself down that way. But we got in and we kept a visual on it the entire time. And every time it, we put it, you know, it put its head down, we honestly used it to our advantage. We'd pick out uh, milestones or, you know, reference markers in the field. We had one corn stalk, you know, that didn't belong in the bean field, but was there and we knew the deer, okay, this deer is gonna be 30 yards past that, just to the north side. So we kept that in our mind and we were just crawling on the ground very, very slowly. And it's not a process you want to rush. And I think, um, I mean, as far as my first legitimate attempt at a stock, I think it went very well as far as we didn't really rush the stock. It took total, I mean, 45 minutes by the time we left the truck to, you know, after I guess I'll get 
get there soon, but the, the total time of the stock was about 45 minutes, and that was, you know, 100 yards traveled max. So this... Were you going... Gabe, have you gone... Have you have you done spot and stalk before at all, like with whitetails or anything? Um, as legitimate as this, no. In my head, I thought I did. Uh, but, you know, after I got out here, I realized I must have just been messing around or, you know, it wasn't as serious <laughs> as this stuff, you know, because you get out, you know, and like, okay, you know, I'm going to run behind a tree and wait for this thing versus, you know, right, this right. is full bore, you know, all gas headed towards this thing. And it really, the only way you're going to execute is if you get this done. So we had that deer bedded and it was honestly facing away from us and it would turn, you know, side, but it never once looked in our direction, which is, we use that to our advantage. And then once we sealed the deal, I got within 50, you know, in, in archery hunting, a lot of whitetail guys will convince you that a 30 to a 35 yard shot at a whitetail is a very long shot. Uh, if you come out here with that mindset, you're not going to do very well. It's very difficult to get within 35, 40 yards of a deer. And we tried to, you know, break as much distance as we could, you know, moving only when the wind was blowing so it would cover our sounds, you know, because the beans are pretty crunchy. And we got to about 50 yards, and I got in the debate, and on the video, you know, I was talking to the camera, and the number one thing I kept saying is that the issue with this stalk is that when a deer is bedded down in a bean field that's that tall, when you're on, you know, on the ground trying to shoot through beans, I mean, you, for the most part, I mean, that deer is getting covered up by beans, so it's not the cleanest shot. It's not a very clear shot. So we were kind of having a strategy to, if you get too close with an archery, you know, archery shot, your arrow flies very straight, you know, that first 20, 25 yards, uh, even 30 yards. After that, you know, anybody that shoots archery knows that, you know, it has to arc. Um, so, you know, that 45, 50 yard range, you have quite a bit of arc where, you know, you can shoot over the beans and land your arrow right in where it needs to be. So that was kind of the thought process that I had. And we got to 36 yards is actually where I decided, I'm like, okay, this is a very comfortable shot. Um, you know, the, the, the situation was perfect and we sat and waited then for about 20 minutes because it was bedded down we couldn't see its head. And, you know, you don't necessarily want to spook these deer just to get them to stand up just because there's too many things that can go wrong. So it's a game of patience at that point where you're going to wait this out and just pay attention and read the body movement of that animal. And, you know, every 15, 20 minutes, these deer, you know, unless they fall asleep, are going to at least, you know, stick their heads up and kind of look around for, you know, maybe a minute, maybe 30 seconds just to give you a chance. And as soon as we saw the antlers pull, you know, pop up above the beans you know I knew it was go time I had plenty of time to compose myself and calm down and I ranged the antlers at 36 yards and uh, one of the things that I messed up is I should have drew my bow back and then stood up and I must have got anxious and drew as I was standing up and that did cause a little bit of movement so as soon as I stood up drawn on this deer it actually picked its head up and looked at me and you know there lied the issue that I knew going into the stock was the fact that most of these vitals are going to be covered up by beans and whitetail hunting. I've never been put in a situation where you don't have, you know, a wide open or very ideal shot. Granted, when you're in the woods, you know, there's branches and stuff that you have to, you know, uh, aim through and, you know, think about or stuff like that because you could get arrow deflections. But the beans were in front of where I wanted to be. Uh, so I drew back, I was on the deer, and I started at its head, followed the line down from its neck to its spine, 
got to its spine and dropped down. Uh, I should have honestly aimed a little bit lower. Um, and uh, after drawing back for 10 seconds, you know, I just kind of let one go and I watched my arrow just go right over its back. I biffed that one. Oh. But as far as the entire stock experience, everything we did was perfect, you know, but it came down to shot execution. I just, I missed that on my end. So. Dude, that's brutal. Uh, yeah, it kind of is, but I'm, I'm not super upset about it, honestly, because, you know, we, we got there, we did everything right, but, you know, at the end of the day, it just, it really comes down to execution, you know? Yeah, like I, Absolutely. And I told him, I said, every single thing, whether it be a good experience or bad experience, but when you're first learning how to do something, you just got to chalk it up to experience. I, I mean, mean, we've been out here doing it for how long, and we still learn something every year. Oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, and then... Well, that's just, yeah. I was gonna say you you can look at it like this too, uh, Gabe. Like there, a lot of people that would have been in your shoes wouldn't have even gotten to the point of drawing back their bow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that in itself is a huge accomplishment. I know that when I first started out, like kind of learning to spot and stalk, it took me a while just to really grasp the concept. Like from being in a tree stand to being on the ground and learning how to walk and stalk quietly is a whole different different animal and for you to be able to get within 36 yards on pretty much your really your first go around at it i that that's hats off to you man you did a great job out there no and i'm i'm honestly not too upset i mean you know you see those memes posted all over social media you know where it's like seven years after missing a big buck and it shows you on a couch with a bunch <laughs> of you know bottles cracked open because you just lost your motivation but no that made me so eager to just get out you know we, we we grinded really hard tonight tomorrow we got some plans to go you know get out there again in fact i originally wasn't even gonna hunt tomorrow morning i was just gonna pack up and head back to missouri but you know i'm pretty jacked and wired right now where it's like you know what i got some time we can make a three-hour hunt in the morning and you After know, our experience tonight, it kind of it settled the deal with that. Oh, yeah, you guys are going to want to hear this story in a little bit. But, uh, no, it, it, it was definitely a clean miss. We went and reviewed the footage. And, you know, I was actually surprised because one of the things Colin told me is that mule deer don't duck as much. And, granted, you know, if that deer didn't duck, uh, I still would have been very high on that, you know, on that animal. Uh, but, you know, we went by watched the watched the replay, and it, it did drop about a foot. It was kind of crazy. Yeah. I did not expect that. Well, I noticed, like, he looked at you. And when they go to bounce, they like spring load their legs before yep. they bounce it. Like they bend their knees, and that's how they go before the jump. So right when you were gonna shoot, he had figured out that was that time frame it took for him to figure out what you were and where he's gonna go and how big of a threat it was. So like right when you release your arrow, that's when he decided he was gonna go. Yep. So it was just, I mean, well, it was just terrible timing. There's nothing you can do about it. Right. Well, it was. It was Wednesday morning, Derek Nelson from Matthews was out here with Chris B, and he shot at a deer in a Milo field, um, and ended up like just an inch or two over him. Yep. Um, you watch the replay back, and it it dropped a good three to four inches before it bounced. I mean, so yeah. when they when they go to launch off, I and mean, it's it's like a like a uh, an athlete, you know, if he get he gets ready to go up and jump up to the basketball hoop. He's going to go down first and then leap up. So I think what's worked for me with trying to avoid that, because every deer is different. Sometimes you get like a minute to look at him like that. Right. Or you get a matter of five seconds. Yeah. I think what's worked for me is just like draw your bow back as you're down mm -hmm. and then don't even anchor yet. 
and look at that deer and pop back down and be ready and on him as you're going up so that yeah. as soon as you're on him and you can settle your pin you can squeeze off your trigger but then especially in gabe's situation you've got to take in the fact that you know, this is the closest he's ever been to a mule deer yeah okay and they just got done watching this deer for what do you say 25 30 minutes getting all yeah, I'd say, if, not, if not longer yeah yeah i mean so you've got that adrenaline you know yeah. your heart's pumping you get that adrenaline going sitting here on mm-hmm. your knees watching that animal that's 35 yards away from you and every time he turns oh, his yeah. head i mean you're, you're seeing that like rack move in the beans that's all you're seeing you're getting all excited and, <laughs> and then you finally the find finally the chance is there for you to stand up and shoot at him and yeah. you got you've got to harness all of those emotions and that's where like experience calm, the more you do this right. the more you're going to and calm your bow down the more you're going to do to the point where you're not you know have extreme so i know even when i draw back on deer sometimes now i'm sitting there and i'm like you know you were shaking on yours last year oh yeah i <laughs> shot my deer last year I, I threw my bow on the ground and fell in the ditch right. honestly it, over. The, the the funny thing is is we we had this conversation right before the stock about you know composition before your shot is the number one thing mm-hmm. that you need to make sure you keep your head you need to have you know a clear thought process and i was shaking more at 60 yards trying to range find him like i put i put up my range finder and you know i looked like i was just like you know i hadn't slept in five days you know i'm just shaking so bad and you know once we broke that 40 yards distance we had that 20 minutes to sit down and recoup and colin and i actually made a joke that i should have carried a thumbtack in my pocket so it's just you know i could get my leg a poke that way i could you know take my mind off it just for a second to calm down so i actually i actually used my fingernails and pinched my cheek as hard as i could and it just it calmed me down and i i got in the zone and when i drew back i wasn't super shaky you know i was i was really just you know honestly i felt really composed and comfortable with it and it's one of those things where you can tell when someone gives their story you know i've heard a lot of you know shot stories and stuff like that where you know they shoot and they don't understand what happens versus in this video which you know you guys will be able to watch exactly what we're talking about uh here you know next week um you know as soon as i pulled the trigger uh on my bow i mean instantly i watched through my peep sight uh, you know, my flexions go over the top of its back, and it was it was like cake work. As soon as I pulled the trigger, it went over the back. I'm like, oh, right over its back. Just like I knew instantly. There was no doubt in my mind. Like, oh, did I hit it? Did I not hit it? Like, you know, that's that's. I was pretty focused and tuned up about that. And there, there's no way to prepare for any of it because, like Andy's deer, he sat there and watched it for three hours. Yeah. And my deer that I got last year was all of maybe a minute and a half. It wasn't even that. It was 30 seconds. Yeah, and it was full sprint. He ran out of the core, and by the time he got through the cedars. Um, just trying to get ahead of him because we had a hundred yard gap between cornfields and he was at a trot yeah I mean so it's you can't prepare for anything out here right you just have to you know open mind and try to be ready that's got to be that's got to be the love hate of hunting mule deer out there (laughs) like not being able to prepare for anything but also like anything can happen at any moment yep yep it's uh it, uh, yeah, love hates probably a pretty good word you know for me yeah. i absolutely love it, it uh, i love it but you can also get burnt out super yeah you fast. can get burnt out pretty quick but at the same time you know you at the drop of a hat everything could changes. be right there i mean i mean uh, i mean we've had times where we went what, like a week and just struggled and struggled to find a good buy, and we yeah. were like just done with it yep. and then all of a sudden like we're back in it and yeah. we're good it's crazy it's, it's very stressful in a good way. In a good way. It's like tonight. We I didn't take a stereotypical mule deer approach tonight. Yeah. I I kind of had seen these bucks and a a big group of deer, like moving in the area, 
and I'm pretty limited on where I can hunt right now. And spot stocks usually out of the option unless I'm in a field. I, I can't go up and down the hills right now. Mm-hmm. And so we we found some trees and like sat down by a cornfield and me and Kyle almost got ran over like three times by deer. You're breathing down your neck. Oh yeah, and like <laughs> the first one was a doe and it, it came under ten yards from us and just. I mean, we didn't have time to prepare. I couldn't adjust my sight to shoot at it or anything. Yeah. It was just right there. And then we were still trying to recover from that one. And, like, maybe five, six minutes after that, we hear, like, extremely, extremely heavy bounce. Like, mule deer are really heavy when they bounce. It's really loud. And it was just, like, 15 yards in the corn behind the cedar, super loud. And this buck was, like, snorting and thrashing around the corn, breaking corn stalks with his antlers. And it was probably like crazy experience. We didn't even get to see him. He's probably trying to shed. I, I bet he is because there was no other bucks around. And mm-hmm. usually when they shed, they're right. Well, that's one thing that Gabe didn't say about his too. Is is uh, he evidently shed last night? Oh yeah. And he still had velvet. Oh, it it was this morning. And the funny thing was when we saw that deer, you know, I at first glance, I mean, I looked at uh, you know Ellie and I was like. Uh, dude, this thing is a picket fence. Like, there's there's tines everywhere, and you know, I threw up the binoculars. And I'm like, no, this thing is half in velvet. There was velvet hanging down. You know, I don't know if you call them a G2, I guess out here, but yeah, the yeah. G2s and you know the threes. They had velvet peeling off. The rack was literally red and still had blood on it. Like it was ridiculous. And you know, when we were trying to find this deer in the uh, those draws, you know, we found a tree. It was fresh rubbed, and there was you know there were some shavings on the ground and stuff from this morning. And it was just the coolest thing ever. But you know, you also pick out the time that we're hunting you know early september and you can hit it hard probably the first two days of season and get these bucks in bachelor groups but like a whitetail that week where they're pe- peeling velvet they're very nocturnal they're not moving a crazy amount of distance just because antlers are sensitive you know they're probably grumpy that they're you know bleeding and <laughs> you know trying to peel off all that velvet but uh you know it was just a crazy thing and that's that's one of the other reasons we went on that stock just because you know, as far as, you know, if, if you're a mule deer hunter and you're out here, you know, trophy hunting, that's probably a buck you're not going to go after. But not only for a first mule deer was it a really good buck, but the character that that buck would have had, you know, with peeled velvet and stuff like that, I mean, you're, you're probably never going to get that opportunity again. I said we're working on an hour here. Is there anything that you guys wanted to touch on? before we hop off uh, as far as story wise or anything like that yeah i'm actually going to give you guys some some preparation advice just because i didn't know what to expect when you come out here and a couple things is if you are a legitimate serious whitetail hunter uh take about 99.9 percent of everything you've ever learned and toss it out the window because <laughs> because you're, you're you're not going to use that to your advantage uh you know when you're whitetail hunting you're you're waiting for the deer to come out of the woods during the day so you hunt you know morning and night and you're sitting on a field edge mostly you know trying to get to their food source versus out here the deer are in the food all day long and then you know they they head elsewhere at night so it's it's completely backwards in that aspect the other thing is if you're gonna if you're gonna come out here things do get western so uh, if you're going to mule deer hunt, you don't have a 4x4 truck, uh, I, I don't know what to tell you because it's been super muddy and, you know, I got three inches of mud caked on every inch of my truck. So make sure you're prepped up for that. <laughs> Bring lots of water because, uh, you know, there's when you're walking around, you get dehydrated pretty quick. And, water and rock stars. Yeah, I would say we survived off just numerous <laughs> amounts of energy drinks. And the other thing is eat some potassium because when you're on a stock and you get a cramp, it's the worst thing in the world. (laughs) 
So other th- no, for sure. other than that, there's so much that goes into us. You know, when when we do a recap of this hunt, actually, you know, I'm definitely going to be coming back out if I can get a chance at you know some point this season yet. Uh, but you know, we got some hunting to do tomorrow, and you know, it's just been super great. You know, one 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 of the other things is is you know, if I honestly would have never became a, a part of Service I, you know, I wouldn't be out here on these hunt with these guys. These guys have been super great. You know, super friendly. And, you know, they 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 welcome me with open open arms, and it's just super appreciative. And I, as far as I feel bad because I haven't had a chance to hunt with, at all with you. I mean, I I couldn't get some time off work this week, and you know, I had some other hunters out here too, and. It, uh, I'm glad it worked out for you, though. No, it's, it's, it's definitely fun. You know, I looked at it as like my first, you know, kickoff to the year. You know, we got we got some plans to get out to Oklahoma and Missouri and Minnesota, and you know, Nebraska was first on the list here. And that's, you know, it's it's one of those hunts where you get some hunts, you know, where you go somewhere like you know when I hunt in Wisconsin, I, I could honestly go with ever, without ever buying a tag again for whitetail hunting because you get you know so frustrated. But this. I mean, it literally just put fuel in my veins. Like, I cannot wait to get back out here. It was, it was so fun, so fun. Hey, uh, Torin, is Jason Pike still part of Service Site? Yes, he is. We need to get down there and do a hog hunt. That's for dang sure. Oh yeah. Yes, we do. It's like, yes, it's only, we do. It's like six hours away from me and Colin. Yeah. We talked about that for like two years. Yeah, now. we've been talking about that. Going yeah. hogs. They do that, and then Colin and I want to desperately want to get out to Pennsylvania and do a deer and a bear hunt next year. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The backpack trip. Yep. You got to come on that. That was one of our, you know, it was a cheaper tag option. Right. Yep. So the, we just started doing the backpack trip. Um, last year. Yeah. Last year was our first trip. So, um, you can get, it's an overlap season. So you have your archery, archery bear and archery whitetail. And I had screwed up probably on a 450 pounder last year. Oh boy. I don't know if I could even judge a bear size. No. I can't like I can't judge a whitetail size. <laughs> no, if I can't. If it wasn't for Gabe, I wouldn't know how big that whitetail was in that Milo field. Because <laughs> to me, they, just, they don't look like... I'd probably think a 150 is probably like a 120. We're used to seeing these crowns up on top of our mule deer, yeah. you know? And it comes to seeing a whitetail, mm. and it's like... Oh, I mean, man. there's there's whitetail I've passed in my life, and now I'm looking back, now I'm learning, I'm like, that was really dumb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So, I mean, uh... I mean, Colin and I might know a thing or two about about muleys, but when it comes to uh, when it comes to whitetails, we're clueless. Yeah, I, I ain't got a clue. <laughs> but see, that's that's the beauty of like the networking with Service Side and being able to like tap into this community. We like what Gabe was able to do with you, and and then us just having this conversation, yeah, absolutely. like listening into your guys's like talk about this, has made me a better hunter. For when I potentially go out and do that maybe next year or the following year like absolutely the the reach the reach is really crazy and just the the diversity of people that we have is, is really really awesome yep, yep. And, and you know it, um, face value wise if you want to take it as that um, we're starting to get out there too where people are starting to recognize us and everything I mean we were I was out talking with Chris B and uh, he brought Derek Nason or Derek Nelson with him with uh um, Matthew's archery. I was wearing my service side hat, and he said, "Hey, I've recognized that hat. Is that service side?" I said, "Yeah." He's like, "Whoa, that's cool." Yeah, and like without service side, I would have never in my. I probably never would even thought about a Missouri whitetail tag. Right. Like it would have never crossed my mind. I would have went and bought an elk tag or a muley tag somewhere else. Yep. Because I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do if I just walk in the woods and hope I see something. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, just to be able to branch out through different members of service side has been huge, and the yep. knowledge you can get from. 
about any member really. Yeah. Well, and just reach a, out, and I mean, there's a, a wealth of knowledge. Everybody in service I've met has been super friendly. I mean, everybody helps everybody. Uh-huh. It's, it's a great community to be part of. Ten out of ten recommend. Definitely was worth you know was worth getting involved in because like I said, if you know if I'd have never you know jumped on service side here here in July, you know I'd probably be out in the you know Pine Ridge area, you know hating my life right now. So. <laughs> But uh, I mean, other than that, I mean, you know, we, we got we got some good content rolling. I mean, it it sucks that as of right now there wasn't a kill shot, but you know everything we we kind of talked about over here in the podcast. It's hard to get a visual for, but I mean, we're gonna show it in the video, and you guys will be able to get a better understanding of you know what the terrain looks like, the style of hunting, you know, and the in the caliber of deer we're going after. So. Yeah, and, you know, you're close enough yet too to where you get a long weekend and swing back by and. And, yeah, that's uh, uh, heck even over Thanksgiving. And I mean, like out. our late October, like November season is way different. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it'll it'll change. It'll blow your mind how many deer in, you can in see two in more a day. weeks. It'll change, and then it'll change. You know, as soon as the crops come yep. out, and then it'll change a couple weeks later when the rut hits, and then after. So you bring up you bring up a really good point, and this is kind of the purpose of what the Deer Camp Tour podcast is about is. I want to be able to give listeners real time information on what's going on throughout the entire country so like let's say a group of hunters is going to head out to nebraska uh potentially this week what what is something that they should be aware of or or uh keep an eye out for like so gabe had said like bucks are shedding so Mm -hmm. the bachelor groups are going to be disbanding is there any any kind of information like that that uh potentially hunters coming out should be aware of i mean you pretty much hit on it right there you know, within the next week or two, I mean, the bachelor herds are going to kind of start splitting up, and they're going to start trying to find their harems. Yeah. Um, you know, so, I mean, you might, some of the, the bigger bucks might be loners for a little while until they can find their harem and whatnot. And, and you yeah, can't count on bachelor groups either, because yeah, some I mean, deer don't ever go in a bachelor. My deer last year wasn't in a bachelor group. Yeah, your deer last year was all by himself the whole time. And it was, we should have been watching crop fields, and he just happened to be in the middle of a pasture, yeah. bedded down in a cattle trail. Yeah. I mean, you just you don't know what to expect. Yeah. I mean, but crop fields are huge, though. I mean, for the most part, though, in roughly another week and a half to two weeks, yeah, their uh, their bachelor herds are going to kind of be splitting up, and and uh, not that they're going to be fighting or anything yet, but they're going to be their moods going to change, their their patterns are going to change. Testosterone's building up. You know, yeah. it's just kind of that's why that's why they shed their velvet. They're just getting to the point where you know it's it's, it's gearing up for full grind mode here. It's like. Uh, like it's like watching a fighter build up for a big fight. I mean, yeah. they're they're doing everything they can to to eat and bulk up and, and uh, take everything on. I guess something that surprised I remember like telling Gabe and he was surprised about is like you can't rattle and grunt in mule deer. Mm, You'll not spook very easily, them. No, they they don't go out looking for fights. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only time I ever see a mule deer fight is when another buck tries to take over the harem. Yeah. So it's wow. I, uh, well, that that wonky seven by seven I got in there on the wall. Watched him fight for a good 20, 30 minutes. All oh, those fights get intense. Yeah. And then one deer walks off, and they they stay, they stay in the same area. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a whole different experience out here. I think. Uh, I'll say. <laughs> G- I'll say. G- Gabe touched on it pretty good. He said, he said <laughs> it does get a little western. It does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite things to say. Um, and Colin and I are by by no means not redneckish. So I mean we. <laughs> We, uh, we we have a good time while we're, we're not doing professionals it, we'll by any means. 
We get it done. <laughs> we're not we, we, we've tried to film our content, and we it didn't. And it probably needs to be on a blooper reel somewhere. <laughs> we lasted like 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and we had to leave because we laughed and cried. And right. Blew it. All right, fellas. Well, I appreciate you all hopping on and taking the time to do this. Uh, Gabe and Colin, if you guys are going back out in the morning. Yep, yes. yep. We're going to send it one last time and, you know, hopefully hopefully seal the deal on something. So we got our first all right. really, really cool morning. The last few mornings have all been, you know, mid-60s. Tomorrow's going to be the first morning that drops down in the mid-50s. So I'm hoping that cold weather is going to get these things on their feet, you know, at least for the first two hours. It's it's the last hurrah, yep. the final countdown. Get it done, fellas. Full sends only. Let's go. All right. Uh, I appreciate you guys hopping on. Like I said, uh, good luck tomorrow morning. Um, Tim, thank you very much. Ellie, thank you very much for uh, hooking this all up. Uh, Appreciate everybody. Thank you for listening to the Whitetail Theories podcast. Peace. Yeah, we'll see you guys. All right, see you, Torin.